0: Greetings, adventurers, and welcome to Dark Dice. Many of you hearing this are likely first-time listeners, and we wanted to explain a few things before we jump right into the show. This introduction should preemptively answer many of the questions you are likely going to have. So first, what is the show? Well, I'm Travis, the show's creator, dungeon master, editor, sound designer, music director, etc., and half of Fool and Scholar Productions. We, Fool and Scholar Productions, are an independent two-person husband-wife production team that makes audio fiction stories, aka podcasts. <laughs>
1: To find it, cold and lifeless.
2: Medical crew is currently unavailable to assist you.
0: My spouse and co-creator Caitlin writes and promotes them, and we work with indie actors around the world, many of whom have never acted before, to bring our stories to life. You can find them by looking up Fool and Scholar Productions. Links are in the show notes. I'd like to repeat that our shows are almost entirely listener-supported, free, and that we're extremely grateful to our Patreon supporters and for our show's growth and popularity. It may also interest you to know that we currently have a fun bet with our listeners that if we can reach 40,000 regular subscribers of Dark Dice before October 2021, we will begin work on a Dark Dice musical episode for our patrons. So if you'd like to help us reach our goal, please consider sharing the show with a friend. Then maybe you can expect something like this. During these
1: storms,
0: For those of you who may not understand what Dungeons & Dragons is, please listen to our Zero episode at the very start of the feed as it explains all of this in far greater detail. If you find that you're enjoying the show, you may wish to jump back to our first season. This episode and future ones contain many spoilers for that season, starting at about the 10 minute mark. We release one new episode of Dark Dice every month, and I'd like to point out that this show is definitely not for all ages. We provide a list of content warnings at the bottom of the show notes for every episode. Finally, if you enjoy the show, please consider checking out our other shows as well, like The White Vault. Well, enough of that, thank you for sitting through this. Let's get started.
1: Shaelis Depeis,
0: Do you seek him, Do you seek him, Do you seek him, Do you seek him, Do you seek, do you seek,
3: do you seek, do you seek the Nameless God?
0: You have found yourself among those who roll the dark dice. What you are about to hear happened long ago, a story brought back from the edge of oblivion, dutifully transcribed, and enhanced orally to better captivate your attention. Previously, a team of adventurers set off Milmaner's hope to find their town's missing children. Those who returned thought proudly of their hard-won victory. However, not all was as it seemed. Dark Dice, The Long Road, Chapter 1B, Unavenged.
3: <laughs>
0: Ildrix Miston, the scaleskin warrior, had been traveling the world for five months in relative peace, leaving the far north for the calm quiet of the Frost Iron Mountains. It was said that one could find answers deep within themselves if they focused their mind, their body, and soul. Ildrix, the brass-scaled traveler, was a humanoid of just over six and a half feet in height, with the head and facial features of a dragon, and sharp claws that always seemed to twitch closer toward his waterskin, currently half full of bitter ale. And so he was so deep in meditation that he could not register his body's senses, and he did not notice the quiet football's approach, nor the subsequent strike to his head. He simply woke up, bound, chained, and walking. Ildric's Mistan's life had taken a very sudden turn, but perhaps this is what Aginder, the dragon god, the god of will, had in mind. Today, Ildrix was the second of three prisoners that the knife-eared and smooth-skinned elves had captured in his six-day march through the woods with them. Silent, resentful, and cruel, the elves had been guiding Ildrix and his two fellows to an unknown destination for an unknown reason. The leading prisoner was a dwarven woman with braided golden hair and pale skin that seemed to match the snow at their feet. The other, a wood elf captured just this morning, was a religious huntsman who seemed resolved to his fate. That huntsman was named Balmer. Mechanically speaking, he was a sorcerer with a level of cleric. <clears throat> Hello,
4: everybody. Hi. 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 Hey. Um, I'm Jeff Goldblum. My name is Jeff Goldblum. And today, I'm going to be rolling the dark dice as Balmer, a curious elf with militarily short dark hair and uh, facial markings whose dark brown eyes like two pillow mints, chocolate pillow mints, Seem to dart every which way, taking in his surroundings. Additional tattoos are visible through tears in his leather arm guards and sleeveless elven tunic. And he wears a necklace with a most curious circular symbol. A bracelet made of beautifully colored beads rattles slightly with each step. It's clearly a, an important memento. Balmer had in fact been searching the Dead Pines for his daughter's missing locket when he found himself similarly in the chains of those harsh elven slavers without so much as a word. Balmer, himself elven but not uh, of the same tribe, knew the place that his captors were leading the group because he was raised on the local legends of the Dead Pines.
0: The muted crunch of light footsteps walking through the snow were the only sounds beyond the jingle of chains as a massive stone archway came into view through the fog ahead. Six hellish torches outlined by ancient characters, massive runes, and hideous gargoyles comprised the archway itself. The figures represented were comprised of stern-faced humanoids, ravenous monsters, and freakish abominations that seemed to shift in the torchlight. Two large statues flanked the edges of the arch, and the passage appeared to lead directly into the face of the mountain ahead, framed by the roots of a grand tree. In the center of the archway was a massive door with no visible lock, keyhole, or method of entry. Instead, a simple inscription carved on the door itself, in a language all present recognized as elvish, accompanied a strange rotting stench that hung strongly in the air. A few dozen paces away, hidden in the snow... The Vogelberg siblings. Um, what are your first names again, siblings?
2: I'm Gale.
5: Uh,
6: I'm I'm Glom.
0: Thanks. Gale and Glom Vogelberg had been reunited for just over a month. On her way home to the coast of Vinelhaven, Gale found Glom in the employ of Sir Percy Fife, the third son of Border Baroness Malcavia Fife. Sir Percy was a good man who had been on a quest to raise his family's reputation beyond the borders of their domain. The House of Fife was fairly insular and since Sir Percy had no chance at leading his family, he sought glory through noble deeds. While trying to gain the favor of House Osmark, he traveled as far south as the Bright Vale, seeking the employment of brave souls to assist him on a crusade of justice against the monsters of the realm. The Vogelberg siblings, being of strong name and reputation, assisted him for three weeks, hunting monsters, battling vile witches, and righting wrongs. They did not speak of their father, and did not have all that much time to catch up beyond a general overview of what the other had done since their separation many years ago. The duo became some of Sir Percy's best friends within his retinue, until they volunteered to hunt down a group of elven slavers, cultists that had eluded the Frontier Division, while the rest of their group continued south toward the Darklands. Sir Percy tried twice to pay the Vogelbergs for their time, thanked them for their friendship, and bid them luck on their next noble adventure. The Vogelbergs had tracked the slavers through the Dead Pines, and finally caught up with their prey. The last minutes of Sorin's life flashed before his eyes as he bled out in the snow. He could remember an argument, the raising of voices. They were almost free from that horrible abyss, the living tomb of a nameless, vile god. when a trap had maimed him, nearly tearing off his legs. Exhausted and in a fugue state from days of travel without sleep, they lumbered forward, carelessly on raw feet, each step like walking along dull razors. They had long since forgotten the trap just before the great door, which ripped into flesh, crippling solid who bore the breath of the bladed wire. The others had dragged him just beyond the safety of the great door and healed his exposed bones and muscles just enough so he might walk again. The four children, half-starved and silent, could only watch in horror as their saviors began to argue over who would have to be sacrificed to seal the great gate. Isin's keep, the shopkeeper from Milner's Hope, having finally been reunited with his son, reasoned that he had the most to live for. He had gone to hell and back for his son and swore that they would never be separated again. Don't fuck. Can go there. Rowena Granite Pike, dwarven noble heir apparent to the Cordallan Slaver's Guild, and the murderer of Soren's friend, Sister Savorite Cavernsfall, argued that her duties to get the children to safety had not yet concluded. That left the old dwarf, Father Sindri Westpike, who was still mumbling to himself incoherently. The final step of the long journey loosening his sanity, while Soren Arkwright, the protector of Illmenor's Hope and the monster-hunting hero of the Bright Vale his prospects. Regardless of what delusional Father Westpike had to say about killing one of the extra children, he was the only one of three possible choices in Soren's eyes. The old man had a family he neglected for over the last 80 or so years. A family whose Sindri Westpike admitted might already be dead. Rowena had no true prospects beyond returning home to her undeniably evil guild and abusive family. And Soren well, Soren simply wasn't ready to give up the ghost. No, not yet. Despite his earlier attempts at a release from the physical over the past few days, he had finally come to grips that he had communities to aid, monsters to vanquish, a future.
1: I will be the one to choose. The same way you chose for Sister Karen's fall.
0: As the argument increased in intensity, Soren suddenly felt a sharp pain in his stomach, a dagger. His dagger was lodged deep, just below the ribs. Surprised and quite taken aback, he fell. As Rowena stared at him, a mirrored expression painted across her face. Father Westpike continued to scream about killing one of the children instead, so Rowena punched him squarely in the face, knocking the old man out cold before turning back to face Soren. The injured man turned to crawl away, begging, pleading for his life but Rowena stepped on his exposed muscle and ripped the dagger from his chest. Oh, God, I'm so
2: sorry, Soren.
0: She stared him straight in the eyes and spoke with a cold smile.
2: Thank you, friend. We will remember your sacrifice. Always.
0: Rowena stabbed him two more times as eyes could only watch on in horrified silence, covering his son's eyes. Soren's memory faded quickly from that point. But he remembered hearing Father Westpike calmly ask a question of him passing out.
1: Was that enough for the ritual?
0: The old man had already seemingly justified his kin's actions as the world went dark. Soren remembered, waking up to see the figure of a man lean over him and pour a strange hissing liquid into his wounds. Vision blurry from the immense pain, Sorn let himself fall back into the darkness once more, awakening much later in the snow and great pain. Sorn examined his body, noting the scars in his legs which once exposed bone and muscle, and on his chest where he was clearly stabbed. He examined his hands, and noted that his skin seemed almost gray, and though it was dark, The world seemed so much lighter than it did before. Sorin could see in this dark, see that he was still within sight of the Great Gate, and that he was no longer in the place where he fell. The sound that woke him came from nearby, a mere twenty feet from the gate, a group of three prisoners being pulled on chains by six elves. The elven captors were garbed in a mixture of chainmail and plate, armed with a mix of long and short swords, and each holstering a light crossbow on their belt, and grim expression. Sorin recognized that the elves would soon sacrifice their prisoners to strengthen the wards of the Great Gate. And as Sorin took in the situation, a human male, perhaps eight feet away from him, snuck closer to the elves. What did Sorin want to do?
1: All right. That sounds like a fun barbecue. I imagine I would uh, probably still be a little bit surprised, even... Uh, Not used to speaking at this point, from my, perhaps, month in various snowdrifts.
0: The human stalker nearby shifted in place, catching Sorin's attention again.
1: Did they come with the elves, or just appear?
0: They appeared to be sneaking up on the elves, but Sorin could only see one of them so far. Glom, Gale, how would you describe yourselves?
2: Gale is a human of about average height and weight, dressed in a fashionable black and blue garment that give the impression that she's someone important. It's a bit of a mix between boat captain and crusader, with a tall necked cape that complement her blue eyes. And the dark boots and gloves that make her dark red hair pop. She's very pale and has the same dark eyeliner as her brother Glom.
6: Glom is a bit shorter and darker than his sister. He's got a black padded leather jacket uh, with a knightly cape that seen better days draped over it. Uh, he has a sharp nose. He looks pretty weary. Uh, strong athletic build, short dark hair that's relatively unkempt. Actually, he's unkempt from the hair down. He keeps his cherished battered metal shield on his back, which has a black raven crest on it. Uh, and I guess my I guess we're creeping up towards Sorin without realizing
0: it. Creeping up on their prey, Glom and Gale began to prepare their weapons, when suddenly a nearby noise caught them off guard coming from a figure buried in the snow. <laughs>
1: oh, what's going on?
0: What did the figure in the snow look like?
1: Oh, I believe the original description was that I'm almost deceptively average-looking in terms of height and build, I could be any local farmhand, apart from my grey skin and the invisible weight I seem to carry. I also have steel-grey eyes, which now go quite well with the rest of me. And I, uh, I'm typically wearing a hood as often as I can get away with it. I like to, to shut people out. So I have darkish brown hair that appears to be sawed off at chin length, quite unkempt as well. And a uh, slightly darker beard beginning to show streaks of grey.
6: So Glom freezes and drops one knee, halting the drawing of his bow and hisses at his sister, gesturing towards the figure in the snow.
2: Gail's going to look at the figure in the snow. Mm, She's not sure she wants to be involved, but uh, hangs back a little bit, making a face at uh, her brother with uh, what you want me to do.
6: Glom switches to sign language to Gail, waiting to catch her eye. I think those are the elves, but I don't know who this is in the snow.
2: Gael signs. he looks mostly dead already. Do you want us to help him, or do you want to just go for the elves? That's what we're here for.
6: Guam is still sneaking forward, and signs back. Yes,
1: I don't know if he's with them.
2: If they're friends, it doesn't look like he's having much fun with them.
1: I definitely notice them, and I start to scoot away a bit, creating some nice tracks in the snow. But my main focus is more on the elves, I would say, though I'm keeping a close watch.
0: In the distance, the elves grabbed the dwarven woman, forcing her head down on a block of stone. One of then the elves drew his weapon, and Sorin's eyes went wide as he realized what was happening. Stop! What are you doing? Before he could even realize he'd done so, Sorin rose from the snow, yelling at the elves. He fired a shot toward the elf holding the woman, just barely missing his target's head. Combat had begun.
6: So Glom immediately begins to draw a bead on the elves with his bow.
0: Balmer, third in line for execution, saw arrows being fired from a ridge nearby. At our
4: captors? Huh. Yeah. Balmer's gonna coil himself up, get ready, because if there's a potential rescue, he's gonna spring into action. Bound as he is, he's gonna at least try to help them in their rescue by knocking over an enemy or, or something.
2: I'm going to hold back a little bit and cast Eldritch Blast, because we're clearly in danger. At the elf, at the far end. The one next to the captured elf. That way we have something of a distraction if I miss. I want to create as much confusion as possible. Gail
0: extended her hand and and spat a dark incantation to her patron, patron, Nelteach, as a bolt of energy flew (laughs) through the cloak of the furthest elven soldier, the one closest to Balmer. The shot didn't hit him, but it caught the elf off guard. The wide-eyed soldier replied to the chant with a question in Elvish.
1: Shell is the best! Salus.
0: Or in the common tongue.
4: Are you those that seek him? If the guard's distracted, Balmer will pull the chain away, either knocking the guard down or breaking free himself. Ah. Oh, well, <laughs> maybe not so much. That's that's an eleven.
0: Hmm. Despite a slight hesitation, the guard's footing was on slick ice, and Balmer was able to yank the chain <laughs> free. <laughs> With a subsequent bit of fortune on his advantage roll, Balmer was able to tackle the guard and bash his chest with the chains for eight bludgeoning damage. The guard was still alive, but very much prone.
5: Uh, Not for long. So, my wrists are chained to one of the elves, who's still in the process of taking in the situation. So, I'm going to try and tackle them with a sixteen as an attack.
0: Hildrex exhaled loudly, lowering his center of gravity before tackling the guard, freeing their chain, and punching them in the face for good measure for three damage.
6: Glom hisses when his sister lets off something that appears like magic. I don't know how far it would throw me off, Glom off. Um, but he attempts to, to fire his bow on the lead elf. and That is a, actually that's a critical, to 19, so that's a critical
0: for Glom. Also roll the percentile dice.
6: Okay, uh, 35.
0: Okay. The arrow caught the elf squarely in the knee, causing him to fall in a scream of agony. The figure took seven damage and sat in stunned anguish, debating whether it was better to push the arrow through, pull it out, or break it off. The remaining elves called out an elvish towards Soren desperately, raising their crossbows defensively but not attacking. However, due to Soren and Glom's confused perceptions, the cries
1: seemed hostile, perhaps even charged with magic. Oh, I won't yell back just yet. Let's take another shot at the one who's next to, uh, was it Ildrex? 18 to hit, uh, 6 damage. Soren let loose another
0: arrow, this time catching the elf straight in the shoulder, causing him to cry out in agony before openly weeping.
2: Okay, so Gail is very aware that she's just missed, and she's also revealed facts. Specifically, she's just used magic in front of her half-brother. Um, she's going to back away a little bit from him and attempt to use Mage Hand to grab a bolt and pull it off the crossbow of an elf who's aiming at us.
0: That's pretty original, so sure. Unbeknownst to the elf, Gail successfully pulled the bolt right off the crossbow. Ildrix... Looking from the downed guard to his own shackles, surmised that his bindings were intended for creatures smaller than himself. With a roll of a 19, he... Well, normally I allow players to describe their own kills, and you're technically killing something, so, uh, if you'd like.
5: After tackling my captor, Ildrix bends into his arms and arches his back and throws his hands apart, splintering the chains that are binding him there.
0: The pieces of chain exploded outward, providing a feint that took his captor's momentum away, helping Ildrix avoid the incoming blade. The elf with the arrow in the knee remained in stunned shock as one of their comrades broke the embedded arrow, quickly turned, took aim at Balmer, and pulled the trigger. The crossbow's mechanisms were working, but no arrow flew, much to the confusion of both the target and shooter. The slaver exchanged his defective crossbow with an elven scimitar, while the next elf in the row dropped their heavy blade with a wicked thud decapitating the dwarven woman in a single motion. In the blink of an eye, two elven crossbows found their targets and fired at Gale and Blom, hitting them for four and seven piercing damage respectively, as the shots caught their shoulder and arm. Both half-siblings now required a constitution saving throw, as the bolts were seemingly coated in some kind of poison.
2: Okay, uh, nine.
0: Seventeen. Gale ripped the bolt out quickly, but was not fast enough, and was poisoned. Gale's vision began to blur, and she began to sweat, overheating and uncomfortable. Glom, having just witnessed his sister perform a feat of magic, his most hated foe felt a similar unease and was required to make a sanity saving throw. Glom took ten stress damage and unconsciously moved ten feet away from his sister. As his mind raced to justify what he'd just seen, he thought perhaps that it was this place. These woods. Yes, That must be what was affecting her. Or better yet, those elves and their devilish magics. Sinister spells crafted by their gods to test one's faith.
6: Glom screams in confusion and fires uh, immediately at the crossbowman who, the one who just fired at my sister. That's a 19, Uh, that's critical. Again? Let's see if I can do better this time. 17 damage.
0: With his percentage roll, Glom got an extra action.
6: The elf takes an arrow right through the eye. Glom doesn't even watch the body drop. He's screaming and surging forward and firing on the person that just beheaded the dwarf with, uh, 15.
0: The shot reflected off the elf's armor as Glom now fully exposed, screamed, and charged forward in plain view as the elves' biggest threat. This worked perfectly fine for Soren, who had yet to be noticed by the
1: elves. Never be famous in my time. I'd like to, uh, take a shot at the attendant, the merry-maid of Arrow and the Knee Leader Boy. trying to get him out of the running here. A 19 to hit, and since I quietly set him as my hunter's mark, that will be 10 damage. Asorin caught the elf
0: squarely in the chest with an arrow. Their intended action ceased as they gasped for breath, still standing, but gravely injured.
4: Okay, then Balmer is gonna continue his assault, drawing upon his necromantic repertoire, and casting the Tall the Dead cantrip on his captain that can be overcome with a DC 13 wisdom save, or he'll take seven necrotic damage.
0: Balmer reached out with his necromantic energy and found the elf on the other end of his bindings. The chainlings themselves grew into a muted chorus of percussion as Balmer's hands found the elf's face and physically pulled the life out of him, aging and withering his features until he was just a corpse. No one present had ever seen an elf age before especially not in this unnatural way, causing five stress damage to all except Balmer.
6: Uh, Glam Screams, they're turning everyone into witches!
2: So at this point I've already used an Eldritch Blast, so I'm not gonna really worry too much about the fact that I'm causing a bit of a scene, because frankly we don't want to be captured, because freedom is incredibly important. Um, so I'm going to make another Eldritch Blast while running after my brother. Nineteen to hit, and nine damage.
0: As the Eldritch Blast left Gale's hand, it crackled through the air, striking an elf on the back of the head just behind the ear. The smell of burning hair hung heavy in the air as the shocked elf died and hit the ground before she knew what happened. Ildrix quickly approached the nearest elf and let loose three quick jabs, a left and left, then a right hook squarely on the nose, a crunch of mist and blood over the frosty landscape punctuating the end of the elf's multi-century life. Used to violence and death. Ildrix had no difficulty overcoming his sanity-saving throw for the close-proximity murder. Only two elven slavers remained. The first, still with an arrow to the knee, fired recklessly in the general direction of Ildrix, their vision blurring more with each passing second. The other, silently accepting his fate as his lungs filled with blood, charged Glom. Glom welcomes it. Who raised his own scimitar just in time to deflect the first slash from the elf, then easily dodging the second. Moments later, and Glom had passed the elf who no longer possessed a head charging dauntlessly toward Ah. the final elf. But despite Glom's incredible speed, Soren's arrow reached the wounded elf first, killing him without so much as a scream. His head hit the ground in a whip-like motion, and just like that, non-player combat had concluded.
6: Uh, Well, Glom starts backing up towards Gale, sword still drawn, facing the three or the two that are standing there, that have been attacking.
0: The four survivors stood before each other now for the first time, breathing heavily. Gale feeling a bit more sick than a few moments ago, nausea from the poison creeping in her veins.
1: I think Sorin would probably immediately sit down again and then probably lie down immediately after that and just pant for a few seconds. A few seconds of safe panting.
0: Looking up past the ruined corpses of their captors, Balmer and Ildrix cautiously stepped toward their saviors, still wary and prepared for confrontation. It was Balmer who broke the silence.
4: Yeah, uh... Balmer is looking around after the action ends, raises his hands, and says, "Uh, you know, um, if somebody could uh, release me, that'd be preferable. Okay.
5: Yeah, hey, so uh, we haven't really talked since we've been taken captive, so I don't really know anything about this huntsman or priest guy, Balmer. But he's still bound, so I'll go over to... uh, Balmer and I nod to them. Then I reach down, and I grab him by the cuffs so as to not hurt his arms, and calmly pull the chains apart. Or attempt to with a, with a twenty. The shackles broke easily under Ildrix's strength.
4: <laughs> yeah, uh, thanks, thanks. Yeah, I guess I should look for the rest of our gear.
5: Huh. Smart thinking. Yeah, I too look for any equipment that might have been taken from me.
0: It only took a few moments for Ildrix and Balmer to find their gear on the corpse with the burning hair.
5: As they appraised their gear, they split the
0: additional twenty gold silently between each other. Awesome. Gon backs up till he reaches his sister
6: and sort of half-whispers,
0: Gale, one of them is a witch!
2: At this point, Gail's going to cast Awaken Mind. She wants to go inside her brother's head, and she's going to telepathically whisper to her brother. We saw their magic. The Wicked Elves. That was nothing. We fought with our weapons against their illusions, and we triumphed. And then she's going to kneel down at this point, because she's also not feeling very well.
6: Glom is sort of just staring at the ground, blinking.
4: After Balmer has collected his gear, he calmly walks over to where the others are seated, specifically next to Mr. Witch Hunter, and says, Uh, hey, I'm no witch. My magic comes from the gods. Thank you. (sighs) All right. Blom sheaths the sword and turns to Balmer. Which gods?
6: I serve only one god, Raylir, the god of balance. He is the only way to fight against chaos and magic.
1: Can the gods tell us just what happened here? Because I am very confused. Soren had walked closer to get a
0: better look at the creatures present. He noted the burnt and punctured bodies of the six elf enslavers and their three prisoners, the elf, the headless dwarf, and the scaleskin. Soren found himself Strangely fascinated in particular with the remains of the aged elf.
6: Glom grimaces and, with a f- failed perception check, doesn't realize that his sister isn't feeling well.
5: Is anyone wounded? Did anyone take damage? Some of the weapons the elves use had a poison on them, I think. Ildrix and Balmer both eyed the bolt
0: clearly sticking out of Glom's shoulder.
3: Ow! What? Just behave!
4: Well, if anybody is injured, I'll, I'll gladly offer my assistance. Yes, we were both injured. Guam snaps off uh, the end of the bolt. <laughs> A bomber will go over and look at him. Uh, say, I, I don't think I have medicine for that, but I have the ability to heal you through the aid of the gods. Ferenuain, the god of magic, for instance, can create new blood, while my patron, the god of rebirth, can mend broken flesh. God of rebirth?
2: Gail isn't keen on having herself medically examined, especially not by a complete stranger. In fact, she doesn't want to show that she's injured at all and she hides her wounds.
6: Guam slaps her hands away.
2: Gail! Ow!
6: To stop her from hiding the bolt in her arm.
2: Cut it out! You're hurt!
4: Uh, is it alright if I tend to your wounds? They could become infected or septic otherwise. May I?
2: Sure. I've had worse, but if you feel that you need to, then you can.
4: Yeah. Ow! Yeah, this this looks really... It looks like a, a nasty elven poison. Here. Take away this one's pain. will brenf avamor more You know, that's the same, same spell, yeah. And Balmer will cast Cure Wounds on Gale restoring ten points of damage as the blackened edges and graying skin begin to mend and slowly recover.
2: Gal would thank him, but not too loudly. Just uh, a quiet nod.
4: Balmer nods respectfully in return. Glom's gonna walk over towards the elves
6: and just start poking around. Uh, I don't think Glom likes Balmer. And he's sort of mumbling to himself. I don't care what the voice said. He said God of Magic. That's evil. That's the land of witches. Nothing
1: good comes of that. So is everyone else okay? Who were those
5: elves? We were tracking them. I, well, I don't know who they are, but they brought us here to presumably murder us. I'm
1: assuming that was against your will?
5: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, good. So we have slavers. Just kick one of them gently. And look at the blood closely, with a, a natural twenty perception check. Sora noted that their blood seemed to be pooling into symbols.
4: Oh. What about you, old man? He says to the human with a steel-gray gaze. What are you doing out this way?
1: Old man? I'm... fine, I'll take it. What's, what's going on with the ground here, though? Blood appears to be pooling on the ground here, into symbols? Does, is this elvish? Does anyone recognize any
5: of these symbols? Ildric steps over and reads it. Hmm. It's draconic, but it's strange. It seems magical in nature. The phrases are not written like common speech. You know, like you would speak to someone. It's in that sort of magic dialect, maybe. There are a few different dialects of draconic, and this is the arcanely inclined, old-school dragon magic version, with an arc... Can a roll of three? I'm pretty sure it's not poetry or love letter, but perhaps a ritual in order to open the gate. Ildrix pointed up at the massive sealed gateway
0: behind Soren. It's
6: good that we killed them, then. Mark my words, nothing good comes from magic, let alone blood
1: magic. Oh, I've been here before. I'm, uh. I'm Soren, by the way. Who are you? Ildrix. Ildrix
5: Miston. Ildrix? Good to meet um, you. Extend, extend a large claw. I take it eagerly,
1: <laughs> not too eagerly. I don't often, uh, don't often see things like you roaming around in the forest. If it's not, uh, not too forward of me to say, unless I'm being paid to hunt
5: them. Uh, but I'm sure you're perfectly nice. Well, thank you for not hunting me. I've made my way to your lands here, following the word of gender and stopping wrongs in this world along the way.
1: Sounds admirable. And uh, the other prisoner here, uh, you're an elf, sir? The handsome elf had taken
0: to pulling the bodies further from the gate, and was presently cleaning up the pooling blood runes, with strips torn from their cloth.
4: A wood elf, yes, yes. Yeah, I saw the slavers and and thought that I could perhaps be of assistance to them, but instead I, uh, I ended up captured myself. Can you imagine?
1: You were uh, hoping to assist the slavers.
4: Oh, assist the captives! Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely of you.
1: As I said, my name is Soren.
4: Thank you for your assistance, Soren. I see death often in my line of work, but uh, wasn't particularly interested in experiencing it uh, firsthand or so soon. Uh, so thank you. So just to
1: double check, so sorry I am catching up on my light reading,
4: what is your line of work? Oh, I'm a. I'm a single father, a, a man of many hats, a trapper on the side, and a bit of a, a channeler of the gods, dabbler of the magnetically mystifying arts of magic. Yeah, also sometimes moonlight is a, a bard of sorts. But I'm not going to test your patience with my cadence and predilection for preposterous poetry and rhythm, <laughs> at least at this point.
1: Well, Matt. Well, thank you. That sounded pretty good to me. Are you sure you don't want to carry a tune while I look at the blood runes?
4: <laughs> Perhaps next time, Sorin.
1: Alright. Uh, so, do I have my memories from the previous game, or does Soren have amnesia again?
0: Soren fully remembered the events and memories he had, ending with the team betraying and killing him.
1: Those rat bastards. Okay. So, uh, now having introduced myself to the former captives, I will turn back to the redhead and politely ask Feeling any better?
2: Yes. The. the. The strange nausea seems to have passed. I still don't know your name.
6: I'm Glom. Um uh, oh sorry, this is my, my
1: sister, Gail.
2: Gail Vogelberg.
1: Gail and Glom Vogelberg, appreciate the assistance. You've been uh, tracking the slavers then? I think you said?
2: We have. We had business with them. Um but it would appear that we do not have business with them anymore.
1: Why? Well, I- do apologize. I hope their pockets can still contain some uh some boon to you.
2: I'm sure we can find what we're looking for.
1: So, I uh well, I'm not quite sure what happened. Seems I'm just waking up after a a fun little experience I had. Did did you see any other people running away from this area as you came in? Any tracks? I'm assuming they would have headed back to town, to Ilmiter's Hope.
6: No, the tracks we followed led straight to here. We came from the southeast.
1: Sure. Well, I, uh, I don't mean to impose on anyone, but it looks like the forest is, well, just getting more dangerous and dangerous by the day. What with the roaming bands of elves and the, uh, well, the the large lizard creatures. Again, sir, just you cut quite an impressive figure here in the forest. Wait. Uh,
6: I think... Were there others? Glom stops going through the pockets and stands, turning towards Soren's.
1: Are there others? I kind of reach down pensively and rub my, uh, my chest, stomach area where I remember there being quite a bit of pain. I think there were, so to speak. Soren's
0: fingers found the dagger-sized holes in his shirt around his chest and stomach, and the
1: associated scabs of blood. Thinking I'd probably like to find them and ask them a few questions. I'm willing to keep hunting, sister, to get them all.
2: We told Sir Percy that we would hunt the elven slavers. I can't see why we would stop now. If we've tracked these ones, then we can certainly track any accomplices they had. We need to finish what we've started.
1: Just to clarify, the, uh, the party I used to be with were not elves. Are, are you still hunting elves, or what is your quarry?
2: The bodies at your feet belong to the elven slavers we were hunting.
1: So, just to be clear, my quarry are traitors. Former companions of mine who stabbed me in the back, and front, sides, for no particular reason, but I believe that they may be a real danger to anyone that they uh, come across. Something happened to their minds, you see. Uh, They um saw something that changed them. And they're fairly well connected. They are not elves, but if you'd like to come with me, that would be fine. I'm headed uh, northwest, towards the nearest village. I'd sure just like to get out of this snow and perhaps rest for a moment.
5: I think it is uh, time we do go take a rest and clean up and evaluate our situation.
2: The rest would be good, and we may be close enough to the coast to pull up a few favours in the town, get some accommodations and food.
1: You have favors to pull, my goodness.
2: One or two. I have friends. No a sort. They're here and there.
6: Um, out of curiosity, uh, what town did you say we are near?
1: Elimiter's Hope. About a three days journey from here, through the dead pines. Wonderful.
6: Pine trees and cold hiking. For three more days.
4: Hey, you know, at least we're not out here alone. Maybe we can... Form a a parlor quartet on the walk. What do you think of that? (laughs) Yes.
6: Singing. Glom wants to search the body of the dwarf to see if he can find anything on it that would identify the victim.
0: No stranger to the fields of death, Glom did not require a sanity saving throw for rummaging through the pockets of the dead woman. He was able to find four copper pieces hidden in one boot, two days' rations, and a small religious trinket which had been crushed. Glom felt like it might have belonged to Jegarin. God of nature and fertility.
6: Okay, I leave the money. I take the trinket, just in case I can use it to identify her.
0: Glom also found a brooch that depicted a set of scales with a pin clasp.
6: Okay, Glom takes that.
0: By rolling knowledge history, Glom could try to identify the brooch, if he were so inclined.
6: Yeah, that ain't happening. But I'll take it.
2: Would it be possible that um, Glom would want to show that to me?
6: Yeah, okay. Uh, So Glom walks back and says... Gail the dwarf had this honor.
2: I think I would then want to inspect it uh, with a 12 for history. It appears to belong to a dwarven guild known as the Cordalum. They often use a balancing scale iconography that they use to denote their guild, but they're known for being grave diggers, artifact stealers, slavers. They're a little bit seedy on where they acquire goods, but in my experience, they're fair in their merchant dealings. Glum. I'd suggest keeping this.
6: You can have it. Glum walks back over to the elves and starts looting
5: the bodies. My friends, um, I realize I am quite different than all of you. Do you believe there is a place for me in this town you are headed to, and may I join you?
1: As far as I'm concerned, I'd love for you to join us. And as for the village, they're not going to be forthright with the pitchfork behavior just because of your physical appearance. Not unless you do something against their laws, at least. But there may be some fairly intrusive questioning that comes from a place of genuine curiosity. Nice. Much like I was just doing. I don't mind questions. Absolutely. I would uh love for you to come with us and love the extra hand in case we run into more uh, unpleasantness.
5: I would love to assist in anything I can do as long as we are together on this journey. 20 gold. Uh, their armor, fairly good condition, a little
6: bloody. Uh, markings of Raylier. Uh, my god. Uh, I'll just skip over that. Um, uh, let's see. Each had a... Uh, I've got crossbows. Uh, crossbow and a blade on each one. Glom returns with the six vials of the opaque purplish liquid and uh, tosses them on the ground. And these.
2: I'm going to inspect them carefully to see if I can identify the substances by sight.
1: Do any of you happen to know how to identify potentially dangerous or magical liquids? Hmm. A witch I once knew could, but she'd never explain it to me.
4: How you identify strange vials in Dungeons and Dragons, it's a very odd methodology, is that you take a single drop and you taste it. Now, if this is something bad, this could be a bit of a strange experience for you, but typically, one drop won't be too harmful.
2: It's rather a shame we didn't keep one of the elves alive. Um, it seems we're reasonably safe at the moment, so Gail opens one, smells the vial, and... She then promptly puts the lid back on, knowing that we're three days away from the nearest village. I've already been healed at least once. I think it's probably safer to test these, perhaps, on somebody else. On second thought, oh, they smell like the crossbow belts. I'll hold on to them. And Gail's going to pocket the vial.
5: Should we start campfire for the night? It's dark and snowy.
1: Absolutely. Let's uh, get a fire going.
6: Um, on uh, second thought, we might want to move... Just a little bit away from the bodies. They might smell or, you know, attract creatures to them. (laughs) Just an idea.
4: Moving to a more suitable location is likely wise. I think getting at least a quarter mile away from the gate with the elvish blood rune writing would be a, a good idea.
1: Sure. Let's put some distance between
5: us. So, uh... Were you serious about that elven parlor quartet? Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so the team departed for a winner's hope, the foul stench of death following in their wake. Dark Dice, Chapter 1B, Unavenged. Starring Jeff Goldblum as Bomber, Peter Lewis as Soren Arkwright, Holly Billinghurst and Sean Howard as Galen Glom Vogelberg, Russ D. Moore as Ildrix, and Travis Vengroff as Dungeon Master. This episode featured Danilo Barascini as the Elven Slaver, and Tanya Maloyevich as the Sixth Player, the Dwarven Druid, who was executed before she could be rescued. This episode was co-edited by Sarah Bachinski of Polarity Audio Works and Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Produced with additional editing and sound design by Travis Fengroff, with mixing and mastering by Hemlock Creek Productions. This episode featured music by Stephen Malin, Brandon Boone, Enzo Pazovio, and Travis Fengroff. You can also check out our other shows like The White Vault, Vast Horizon, and Liberty. Links are provided in the show notes. To support this production and get access to bonus releases, music, world lore, art, and early access to future adventures and D&D materials, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash foolandscholar. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram as Pod. This is a Fool and Scholar production. Thank you for listening.
5: Really? The fuck? You guys let my character die? Ah, I've never rolled so poorly in my life I'm going to make another druid And join the other team
3: A story of monsters Mystery and myth And the four adventurers Who have banded together as heroes And as friends And then he hears Val's voice from above And then he basically feels better yeah. <laughs> Who come together To make the world a little safer For their fellow mortals large creatures I brought Hody. <laughs> yeah uh, yeah we can't put yep. Hody in danger well i guess it's hero time reckless attack is a weekly collaboratively built and character driven DD fifth edition actual play podcast join us at our table as we explore a homebrew fantasy world whose future is built on the mistakes of the past a story of ultra giants and saints legends and rediscovery and stacks of frogs
2: Checkers is building his own Ewok village. (laughs) (laughs) Uh
3: Check us out at RecklessAttack.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut.